Hello, welcome to Smoke News Radio, episode 22. Hi, my name is Jason Brodsky, I'm your host tonight, and tonight we're going to look at the marijuana politics all the way from New York City to Denmark. So sit tight and let's take a look here. We got these notes dialed in tonight, ready to go. So let's start with the first one from the Washington Post by Lena Sun. This is a contaminant found vaping products linked deadly lung illness state federal labs show. State and federal health officials investigating mysterious lung illnesses linked to vaping have found this same chemical in samples of marijuana products used by people sickened in different parts of the country and who used different brands of products in recent weeks. The chemical is an oil derived from vitamin E. Investigators at the U.S. Food and Drug Administration found the oil in cannabis products in samples collected from patients who fell ill across the United States. FDA officials shared that information with state health officials during a telephone briefing this week, according to several officials who took part in the call. That same chemical was also found in nearly all cannabis samples, from patients who fell ill in New York in recent weeks, a state health department spokeswoman said. While this is the first common element found in samples from across the country, it is too early to know whether this is causing the injuries, health officials said. Vitamin E is found naturally in certain foods, such as canola oil, olive oil, and almonds. The oil derived from the vitamin, known as vitamin E acetate, is commonly available as a nutritional supplement and is used in topical skin treatments. It is not known to cause harm when ingested as a vitamin supplement or applied to the skin. Its name sounds harmless, experts said, but its molecular structure could make it hazardous when inhaled. Its oil-like properties could be associated with the kinds of respiratory symptoms that many patients have reported. Cough, shortness of breath, and chest pain, officials said. We knew from earlier testing by New York that they had found vitamin E acetate, but to have FDA talk about it from their overall testing plan, that was the most remarkable thing that we heard said one official who listened to the briefing but was not authorized to speak publicly. The FDA also told state officials Wednesday that its lab tests found nothing unusual in nicotine products that had been collected from sick patients, according to another person who took part in the call. The investigation has been particularly challenging for health authorities. We don't know what we're looking for, an official at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, which is leading the investigation, said last week. Officials in Utah said they don't know whether the illness are associated with e-cigarette devices or with specific ingredients or contaminants inhaled through them. Officials are trying to come up with a consistent definition of the illness and a standardization system for collecting information from the states. 
unlike certain infectious diseases such as measles, which are required to be reported to federal authorities, states are not required to report possible causes of vaping-related illnesses to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, which is leading the investigation. State health departments are reporting new cases weekly. As of August 27th, there were 215 possible cases reported by 25 states. Additional reports of lung illnesses are under investigation. On Wednesday, Oregon health authorities said a middle-aged adult who died in late July of a severe respiratory illness had used an e-cigarette containing marijuana oil purchased from a local dispensary. It's the second death linked to a vaping nationwide and the first to be linked to a product bought at a store. Illinois' officials reported the first death last week. They did not specify what kind of product was used in that case. State and health authorities have said they are focusing on the role of contaminants or counterfeit substances as a likely cause of the vaping-related lung illnesses. Many patients have told officials and clinicians that they bought cannabis products off the street. Many of those who have fallen ill say they have vaped products containing marijuana, but others said they use traditional nicotine e-cigarettes. Many report using both. Authorities said they are not ruling out adulterants in nicotine vaping products. Although the discovery of a common chemical in lab tests from the FDA and New York's highly regarded Wadsworth Center lab offers a potential lead. Officials cautioned that they're a long way from understanding what exactly is making so many people sick. An FDA spokesman said the agency is looking into potential leads regarding any particular constituent or compound that may be at issue. The FDA is analyzing samples for a broad range of chemicals, including nicotine, THC, and other cannabinoids, cutting agents that may have been used to dilute liquids, other additives, pesticides, opioids, poisons, and toxins. THC is a component in marijuana that makes users high. The number of samples received continues to increase and we now have over 100 samples for testing, said the FDA spokesman Michael Felderbaum on Thursday. No one substance, including vitamin E acetate, has been identified in all the samples tested, he added. Importantly, identifying any compounds that are present in the samples will be one piece of the puzzle but will not necessarily answer questions about causality. Not all the samples are suitable for testing. The FDA analyzed 12 viable nicotine samples and 18 viable THC products. State officials said vitamin E acetate was found in 10 of the 18 THC products. This was the only thing that seemed to show up in 10 of the 18 cannabis products, said one state official who took part in the call. On Friday, the FDA said most of the THC samples tested 
contain significant amounts of vitamin E acetate, although the FDA does not have enough data to conclude that vitamin E acetate is the cause of the lung injury, the agency said. It is prudent to avoid inhaling this substance. The federal lab results seem to confirm findings from New York State. Late last week, its lab found very high levels of vitamin E acetate in nearly all its cannabis samples tested. More than a dozen samples were tested, a health department spokeswoman said Thursday. At least one vape product containing vitamin E acetate has been linked to each patient who submitted a product for testing. Vitamin E acetate is not an approved additive for New York State medical marijuana program, authorized vape samples, and was not seen in the nicotine-based products that were tested. As a result, vitamin E acetate is now a key focus of New York's investigation New York State Health Commissioner Howard Zucker said on Thursday. As of Thursday, New York had received 34 reports from doctors and severe, severe pulmonary, pulmonary illnesses among patients ranged in ages from 15 to 46 who were using at least one cannabis-containing vape product before becoming sick. All patients reported recent use of various vaping products. Many are suspected to be counterfeits of recreational cannabis containing vape products available in other states. The second report of a death was emphasized the danger of this lung disease. It was surprising that the patient suddenly appeared without any other underlying health conditions and became ill enough to die from this syndrome, said Ann Thomas, a physician with the Oregon Health Authority. Vaping refers to increasingly popular practice of inhaling vapor from e-cigarette device, which frequently involves heating a liquid that can contain nicotine, marijuana, or other drugs. The Food and Drug Administration announced November 15th a sweeping move to curb smoking and vaping among minors. Vitamin E acetate is basically grease, said Michelle Franco, a chemistry professor at Barron Mile College. Its molecular structure means that you have to heat it up pretty hot for it to vaporize. Its boiling point is 363 degrees Fahrenheit which is well above the 212 degrees Fahrenheit boiling point up for water. Once the oil is heated hot enough to vaporize, it can potentially decompose. And now you're breathing in, who knows what, Franco said. When the vapor cools down in the lungs, it returns to its original state at the temperature and pressure, she said, which means it has now coated the inside of your lungs with that oil. In Utah, clinicians have tested several patients with acute lung injuries who were diagnosed with rare condition known as lipoid pneumonia with symptoms including chest pain and difficulty breathing. Those patients have abnormal immune cells filled with lipids, doctors said. 
Unlike the human digestive tract, which can break down and get rid of foreign substances, the lungs aren't designed to handle anything except gases. Laura Crotty, Alexander Lung Inflammation and E-Cigarette Researcher at the University of California at San Diego School of Medicine, said it's not clear whether the chemical itself or its byproducts could be toxic. We haven't looked at the toxicity of vitamin E in the lungs. The lungs are designed to exchange gas molecules. They're not designed to be exposed to other chemicals. When the lung cells die, that often provokes an inflammatory response, and other cells need to come in and clean up the cell debris. But the lungs are very delicate. When extra cells enter, they get in the way of gas exchange. That makes it more difficult for oxygen to get into a person's bloodstream. The inflammation can cause liquid to accumulate in the lungs, making it difficult for someone to breathe. As an article by the uh, Washington Post, contaminants found vaping products link deadly lung illness. State federal labs show, written by Lena H. Sun, read to you here on Smoke News Radio. And next, let's uh, jump over to uh, another part of the earth. Maybe uh, they're not coughing as much, but let's uh, let's let's take a look here. Let's go over to Denmark and see how they are doing. Scroll on down here. Dooby 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 doo. Here we go. Not everybody has the purest products. Brought to you from CBC.ca, written by Reuters. Alberta, Denmark, quarantine Canatrust cannabis products. A worker at the Canatrust Niagara Greenhouse, Alberta and Denmark, have quarantined Canatrust products after Health Canada said they were grown in unlicensed facilities. Alberta is placing an unspecified amount of Canatrust products on hold as precautionary measure. Pending an investigation by Health Canada into whether cannabis from unlicensed facilities is safe for consumption. The move by the Alberta Gaming and Liquor Commission comes after Ontario's cannabis distributor pulled Canatrust products from its site. Canatrust Holdings' Danish partner, Stenocare, says it also has quarantined medical pot products linked to illegal cultivation at the cannabis camp. Com- at the Canadian Cannabis Company's Ontario Greenhouse. Stenocare says has received documentation that shows that five batches of the Danish company's inventory originated in growing rooms that did not have government approval. The products have been isolated and blocked from being sold until the authorities have completed their investigation. Canatrust announced Health Canada's findings of non-compliance in producing cannabis in unlicensed facilities, precipitating a 40% drop in stock value over the week. Health Canada put on hold roughly 5,200 kilograms of Canatrust products from the facility, and licensed producer put a voluntary hold on an additional 7,500 kilograms of pot products, which were also linked. Canatrust Chief's Executive Aceto 
said this represents the majority of its inventory and warned of potential shortages ahead, but noted the company continues to grow and sell cannabis products. Canatrust was not immediately available to comment on Thursday. Mistakes were made, but Canatrust is working to get back into compliance with Health Canada and is conducting a thorough review to determine what transpired. The Canatrust case is the most high-profile occurrence of a company being wrapped by Canada's health regulators since the country legalized recreational marijuana in October, potentially raising questions about ability of companies to achieve growth and stay within the legal regulations as production ramps up post-legalization. Health Canada continues to investigate the breach that results from unlicensed cultivation at Canatrust Ontario Greenhouse. All right. That was uh, not exactly directly Denmark, but here we go. This is from Grizzle.com. Copenhagen aims to legalize recreational cannabis. Read to you here on Smoke News Radio by Jason Brodsky. Copenhagen City Council aims to launch a trial scheme that would see cannabis sold legally across the Danish capital. Marijuana is illegal for recreational use in the Scandinavian nation although it has been unofficially tolerated in Copenhagen neighborhood of Freetown, Christiania, for many years. The city council wants to see it legalized in order to tackle the thriving criminal market and make it safer for youngsters. Denmark has a new government after left-wing parties won an overall majority in summer's general election. Social Democrat leader Met Frederiksen was installed as Prime Minister in June with parliamentary support from the Social Liberals, Socialist People's Party, Red-Green Alliance, the Pharisee Social Democratic Party, and the Inuit Atakutik i Swimut. Socialist People's Party Councillor Klaus Maigrind a member of the Copenhagen Municipality's Children and Youth Committee said the arrival of a new government offers the city a good opportunity to reiterate its calls for cannabis legalization. Now, we have had 50 years of prohibition. It has not been helping anything. So I think that is time we must for us to do something new. Gita Heating, another member of the city council. In total, 44 of the 55 representatives in the city council support a proposal to establish a handful of legal cannabis dispensaries across Copenhagen. There would be five or six of these outlets, staffed by advisors with specialist training. However, the Danish government reiterated that it opposes recreational cannabis legalization. Minister for Health Magnus Hunik said it has various detrimental side effects and it does not endorse the proposed scheme. But the city council still plans to put it to the central government and argue its case. Medical cannabis use has been legal in Denmark since January 2018. Leading Canada producer Aurora Cannabis has an operation in Denmark 
and so does Afira Inc. Producers in Denmark are permitted to export bulk shipments around the world, allowing it to become a major supplier of medical cannabis to neighboring Germany, the largest market in Europe. Yet criminal gangs continue to control the supply of recreational marijuana to Danes. This is uh, written by Grizzle.com. Copenhagen aims to legalize recreational cannabis. And let's go jump back to New York. Here we go. This is from globalnews.ca. 400 pounds of Canadian cannabis smuggled into New York State, according to U.S. Border Patrol. On the 28th of August, U.S. Border Patrol and Homeland Security says it raided Alexandria Bay, New York Villa after suspicious activity. What they found was 400 pounds or 1.3 million of Canadian cannabis in and around the property. If you're looking to kick back and enjoy the college life during the summer months, look no further than the Thousand Islands region of the region. Although U.S. Customs and Border Patrol say the proximity has caused a few challenges, especially since last year's legalization of cannabis in Canada. In 2018, we obtained 590 pounds of marijuana as opposed to this year, we've seized over 3,000 pounds. An officer with the U.S. Customs and Border Patrol at the Alexandria Bay Port of Entry. These statements on Canadian cannabis come after Border Patrol agents from Wellesley Island Station Homeland Security seized more than 393 pounds from a villa on the St. Lawrence River. The vacation home was being rented by N. Lee of New York City, according to several neighbors who asked to remain anonymous. Homeland Security agent Kevin Kelly told 7 News in Watertown, New York, that Lee smuggled the marijuana from Canada by boat. Villa Lee was renting, includes a boat garage that is situated on an inlet off the St. Lawrence River, Kelly said. Lee is charged with first-degree criminal possession of marijuana. 7 News reported that Lee was held in Jefferson County Jail in lieu of 50,000 USD bail or 200,000 USD bonds. Although Kelly told 7 News last week the bust is potentially part of a bigger network involving maritime smuggling and that the cannabis is high-grade and hydroponically grown. From uh, the NewYorkPost.com, from uh, Associated Press, anti-marijuana group loses bid to keep New York donors private. Albany is set to weed out these anti-marijuana lobbyists. New York chapter of Smart Approaches to Marijuana, Sam NY, was on Tuesday knocked back in its bid to keep its deep-pocketed donors private, according to the Times Union. The group, which wants to end the commercialization and normalization of marijuana, 
argued it should be exempt from disclosure rules because its supporters could be harassed. The group, which reportedly spent more than 84000 on lobbying during the recent legislative session, needed to prove that there would be a substantial likelihood of harm or reprisals for donors. The State Joint Commission on Public Ethics on Tuesday denied the bid. The Commissioner George Weissman saying that the application did not meet what we require under the law. According to the report, Sam N.Y. President Dr. Kevin Sabet said the group was reviewing its options to determine how best to proceed. Gotta love it. Hanging out in New York. Let's jump on back down to Denmark here. Okay. This is a timesofcbd.com. Atlas ventures into Denmark with a large indoor cannabis production setup of an old mushroom farm. Atlas Biotechnologies has announced its plans to expand to Denmark. The Alberta-based company plans to mark its entry by converting a substantial indoor mushroom plantation into a sprawling cannabis farm. The cost of the enterprise, which should be up and fully running by the end of 2020, is estimated at 40 to 50 million Canadian dollars, 37 million American. The plans of Atlas to build a foothold in Denmark are in line with the U.S. footsteps of canopy growth. Aurora Cannabis, the Green Organic Dutchman, ICC International Cannabis, and Afira. Although the strategies of mostly publicly traded marijuana companies in Canada have involved having a foothold in international markets, sales outside Canada have been relatively scanty. However, Atlas has a different approach. As expressed by Jeff Gossain, the company's chief operating officer, he noted that most companies start from scratch as they enter the Danish market. Unlike them, Atlas comes into a former mushroom producing facility complete with several isolated microclimates. By establishing a wholly owned subsidiary, Atlas Growers Denmark AS, the company will exploit the least 170,000 square foot facility along with its 36 isolated climate controlled rooms. Echo's champion, Ken Sangfong, owns the facility and their CEO will be the head of operations for Atlas Growers Denmark. Atlas will retain the right to purpose the property for 20 years. Jeff Gosan purports that this will be the largest indoor cannabis farm known in Europe. He sees the isolated microclimates as primarily advantageous by allowing them to control cross-contamination and provide different climates for distinct genetics that they'll grow there. Atlas Growers Denmark aims to tap the Danish, German, and United Kingdom markets. Gosen said that even though they will be involved in the Danish market, 
the company will mostly capitalize on the supply deals it has already established in Germany. He also stated that the company has all the capital needed to get it started. However, it will be employing different strategies to harness funds to hasten the project. Atlas doesn't intend on going public for now. Jeff Gosain, however, said that it would have to be in the future with the market softening up considerably. The plan is for the first harvest to happen early next year. Before then, the company plans on acquiring a cultivation license from the Danish Medicines Agency by the end of September this year. By spring, about 2,500 individual patents have been offered for medical cannabis since the program was introduced in January 2018. You're listening to Smoke News Radio, 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 read to you by Jason Brodsky. Okay, we got that one. And then, oh, cool. Cool, cool, cool. Let's go jump back to New York. So, I, I wonder what, there, what, what happened out, out there. Let's see. This is from September 20th from law.com, New York Law Journal, titled Ahead of New Talks on Marijuana Legalization in New York Legislators State Bar Offers Help, written by Dan Clark. Marijuana wasn't legalized in New York this year for adult recreation use because state lawmakers couldn't agree on a host of issues surrounding the drug. But now the New York State Bar Association says it plans to weigh in on that conversation. More than two dozen attorneys with the State Bar's Cannabis Law Committee are set to examine the issue in the coming months to help provide guidance and inform lawmakers on some of their unanswered questions. That analysis expected to be more comprehensive than previous studies on legalization in New York and will include angles that weren't considered until lawmakers began to seriously weigh the issue earlier this year. The potential legalization of adult recreational marijuana is an issue that should be thoroughly examined and we hope to positively contribute to the debate over the merits of such a proposal, said Hank Greenberg, a shareholder of Greenberg Tarug and the current president of the State Bar Association. Among the issues they plan to consider is a provision first proposed in January by Governor Andrew Cuomo that would allow municipalities to opt out of commercial marijuana sales within their borders. Under Cuomo's proposal, counties and large cities would be able to bar marijuana retailers from setting up shop in their jurisdiction. Use of the drug would still be legal in those areas and the decriminalization aspect would also apply. A handful of counties have also said this year that if the idea was included in legislation to legalize marijuana, 
they would take advantage of the opt-out provision. Brian Malkin, a co-chair of the Committee on Cannabis Law who specializes in food and drug law at Arendt Fox, said they'll consider what municipalities have already said as part of their report and take a look at what happened in the other states faced with a similar situation. Part of that is to look at what the different cities, municipalities, or countries have chosen to opt out of, whatever might be planned in the state, and then look at it if that's happening in other states and how they resolved it, Malkin said. The report is planned to be far more wide-reaching than any single issue and mostly be informed by the attorneys who already sit on the panel. Many already have clients that are in some way involved in the cannabis industry, Malkin said, and are otherwise privy to the issue. There are people in the committee readily working with legislatures on some aspects of the legislation. I think we're pretty plugged in as a group, Malkin said. Part of what ultimately sank efforts to legalize marijuana this year, according to the legislative sources, were disagreements over how the drug would be taxed and how the revenue would then be used. Some lawmakers have argued for more investment in communities adversely impacted by the state's drug laws. Others wanted more funding for law enforcement. On that issue, State Bar plans to consider how other states have taxed the drug. Malkin said it's going to be difficult. Balancing act for state lawmakers who may consider the ramifications of placing too high a tax on marijuana. This led to some unintended consequences in other states, he said. The goal is that you don't want to tax it so high that you create these gray and black markets that take over. And the whole regulation ends up being something on the books. We've heard in some states that they've created these tax structures that all they did was create these black markets. That in some ways gives New York an advantage while it's behind a handful of other states that have already legalized marijuana, New York will now have an opportunity to see how their strategies played out, rather than move forward without any prior knowledge. Alice Burgio, the other co-chair of the Committee on Cannabis Law and Special Counsel at Barclay, Damon and Buffalo, said they'll rely heavily on what other states have done while finalizing their report. We are basing a lot of our arguments on how other states have developed their policies. They'll also look at issues that weren't at the center of discussions among state lawmakers about the drug's legalization this year. Those include, but are far from limited to, how cannabis products will be packaged and labeled and how legalization would relate to medical marijuana. There's a lot of areas that we're trying to touch upon and they reflect on our various expertise and abilities. Malkin said there isn't a list of specific issues on the table as of now and they'll plan to include in the report, he said, a lot of what they rely on, what the committee's members bring to the table 
and what they feel comfortable taking a position on. It could be argued, Malkin said, that every area of law has a hand in legalization of cannabis. Real estate lawyers have thoughts on how farmers would use certain property to grow the drug, for example. Patent attorneys may be thinking how they'll be able to trademark something when it's tied to a drug considered illegal by the federal government. Burgio said they also haven't ruled out speaking to regulators and experts in the industry to identify possible pitfalls and successes, as we realized during last year's debate on marijuana in New York. There are countless groups and entities that have a stake in legalization. They also consider the various legislation proposals already on the table and those expected to come, Malkin said. He likened their analysis to a reset for lawmakers after they failed to coalesce around any of the several legislative proposals earlier this year. The only thing that really did happen was the decriminalization of some possession of marijuana. So it's to take a step back and look where we are now and knowing that next year there will be new legislation proposal. The committee is expected to work on the report over the next few months with the release date expected sometime next year as lawmakers resume conversations surrounding legalization. This article was brought to you by Law.com, written by Dan M. Clark, titled um, Ahead of New Talks on Marijuana Legalization in New York Legislature, State Bar Offers Help. All right, let's keep going here in New York. Okay, this is called, um, this is from the New York Times again. And I don't see an author. Um, this is uh, titled, Officer Said They Smelled Pot. The Judge Called Them Liars. This is read to you by Jason Brodsky on Smoke News Radio. Police officers can often justify a search with six words. I smelled an odor of marijuana. Courts in New York have long ruled if a car smells like marijuana smoke, the police can search it, and according to some judges, even the occupants, without a warrant. But in July, a judge in Bronx said in a scathing opinion that officers claim to smell marijuana so often that it strains cred credibility, and she called on judges across the state to stop letting police officers get away with lying about it. The time has come to reject the canard of marijuana emanating from nearly every vehicle suspect in a traffic stop. Judge April Newbar wrote in a decision in a case involving a gun with the police with the police with the police discovered in a car they had searched after claiming to have smelled marijuana. She added so ambiguous that police testimony about odors from cars become that it should be subject to a heightened level of security if it is supplied to grounds for a search. It is exceedingly rare for New York City judge 
to accuse police officers of routinely lying to cover up illegal searches, but Judge Newbarn's decision does exactly that. Her decision also shows how marijuana's status as contraband remains deeply embedded in the criminal system, even as police and prosecutors have begun to wind down arrests and prosecutions for marijuana. At the height of the stop-and-frisk era, nearly a decade ago, the police were arresting some 50,000 New Yorkers a year for low-level marijuana offenses, more than 85% of whom were black or Hispanic. The rest have since plummeted, but the presence of a marijuana odor, real or purported, still serves as a justification to detain people and search them sometimes leading to the discovery of more serious contraband, including guns, the police officers and lawyers say. One woman who served on a grand jury in Brooklyn last year recalled hearing officers in three separate cases claim to have detected a strong odor of marijuana and use it as justification for a stop or a search. They said it is very for Mulaical, the woman Bata Urand, who is an opinion editor at the Forward, recalled, such testimony can be the final word on whether a search was lawful or unconstitutional, especially in New York. Some other states have more stringent rules. North Carolina, for instance, does not allow the smell of pot to justify a search of the occupants of the vehicle. In 2016, a federal judge in Rochester concluded that the rule in New York was unconstitutional and that New York judges have been wrong to allow such searches, but that decision has had little bearing in New York City. Lawmakers in Albany considered intervening this year. A marijuana legalization bill under debate specifically forbade officers from relying on the odor of cannabis for some searches. The bill does not pass. Instead, lawmakers opted to reduce the penalties for possession of smoking marijuana. Car stops have become an increasingly important part of the New York City Department's patrol strategy ever since political pressure began forcing the department to back away from stopping and frisking black and Hispanic men in large numbers, police officers say. Looser enforcement and more lenient penalties have made the open use of marijuana, along with its unmistakable pugnant scent, more common on city streets and elsewhere. Still, several officers said in interviews that they had doubts their colleagues consistently told the truth about what they had smelled. Certain cops will say there is an odor of marijuana when I get to the scene. I immediately don't smell anything, one Bronx officer Pedro Serrano said in a 2018 article in the New York Times. I can't tell you what you smelled, but it's obvious to me there is no smell of marijuana. In an interview last month, Officer Serrano said he still believed that to be the case, officers in an interview last month, Officer Serrano said he still believed that to be the case. Officer Serrano, who currently works a desk job and is not out on patrol, 
is one of several current and former officers suing the police department over what they described as arrest quotas. A Manhattan detective who spoke on condition of anonymity because he was not authorized to speak for the department said it would be very difficult to prove what an officer did or did not smell. But the detective said he had come to believe that some officers, particularly in plainclothes units, lied about having smelled marijuana because of how frequently he heard it used as justification for a search. In recent years, at least five other judges have concluded in individual cases that officers likely lied about smelling marijuana to justify searches that turned up an unlicensed firearm. According to court documents, these judges came to doubt the police testimony for a range of reasons, such as discrepancies within an officer's account or among officers according to review of the five decisions. These judges have generally questioned only the credibility of individual officers in individual cases. Judge Newber's claim was much broader that there is widespread lying. A police department spokesman Al Baker rejected the assertion as untrue. He noted that marijuana gives off a distinctive and persuasive odor. We recognize that judges arrive at their decisions with their own set of values and insights formed by life experiences, Mr. Baker said in a statement. Nonetheless, we categorically reject the judge's baseless assertion in this case and refute her sweeping assertion that police officers routinely fabricate that the odor of marijuana is present in every vehicle they stop. The case that led Judge Newbar, who was a legal aid society lawyer before ascending to the bench, to make this claim involved a car stop in the Bronx on March 24, 2017. A plainclothes officer, Daniel Nunez, testified that he noticed a strong odor of burning marijuana while approaching the vehicle. According to the decision, Officer Nunez testified that he observed three small bags of marijuana perched atop the center console when the police photographed, which the police photographed according to the decision. Officer Daniel Nunez testified in a Bronx case that he observed small bags of marijuana which he photographed. While searching the trunk, Nunez discovered a gun. Judge Newbear concluded that Officer Nunez's account was riddled with falsehoods. She decided the photograph of bags of marijuana neatly arranged was likely staged. She noted that one of the two defendants, Jesse Hill, had testified that the marijuana had been discovered when officers searched the pockets of the other men who had been in the car with him. Gaynor Cunningham, a legal aid lawyer who represented Mr. Hill's co-defendant, said the ruling recognized an all-too-common practice of dishonesty that police officers employ to circumvent the law to manufacture a legal search. Mr. Baker, the department spokesman, said Officer Nunez had acted lawfully. Barry Commons, a former New York City judge and an authority on search and seizure law in New York, said 
Judge Newberry was the first judge to really express an opinion about this type of scenario. He said, the opinion brought to mind a court decision from 1970 in which a judge accused New York City police officers of lying in a similar fashion. The case dealt with dropsy testimony in which officers testified they had seen the defendant throw down a small bag of drugs in an attempt to ditch the evidence as the police approached. Such testimony spiked after a landmark Supreme Court decision required courts to suppress evidence gained from illegal search. Officers no doubt did catch people trying to discard evidence, but there was widespread suspicion that officers sometimes made up dropsy testimony rather than admit they had searched someone unlawfully. Yet even though officers were likely lying at least some of the time, it was all but impossible to figure out if they were lying in any particular case. One judge, Irving Younger, wrote in the 1970 opinion, Our refusal to face up to the dropsy problem soils the rectitude of the administration of justice, he concluded. This uh, article is, uh, was written on the NewYorkTimes.com titled, Officers Said They Smelled Pot, and the Judge Calls Them Liars. Okay, and we got a few more minutes here to bring you some more information about the Denmark world. And, uh, actually, no, there's, uh, there's another one in New York I want to go hit on right here. See if I can find it here. Working off a cell phone. Working off a cell phone. Okay. Okay, we already got the contaminants. Wait, then do do we have the the next one? Okay. This is from cityandstatenewyork.com. What Kumo's executive order on vaping will and won't do, published September 16th. It doesn't ban menthols or regulate the black market. Obviously. Governor Andrew Cuomo issued an emergency executive action to ban flavored e-cigarettes on Sunday, but experts say it has shortcomings, including that it's not necessarily legal flavored e-cigarettes linked to deaths, that menthol isn't included among the banned flavors, and that medical marijuana users rely on vaping under state law. Headlines around a handful of cases of death and hospitalizations linked to e-cigarettes have created fear around the products. Manufacturers of fruit and candy-flavored e-cigarettes are intentionally and recklessly targeting young people, and today we're taking action to put an end to it. New York Health Commissioner Howard Zucker is planning to launch an investigation into vaping products as well. 
Zucker is holding an emergency meeting with the State Public Health and Planning Council, which will vote on the provisions of the ban and has the authority to enforce the executive order. Once the council meets, the ban could go into effect in the coming weeks. While Cuomo's quick and decisive action got him national headlines, there's been some criticism that the ban isn't actually tackling the root cause of the sudden illness, which is most likely black market pens. It also leaves out menthol, which public health experts say should be included. And medical marijuana advocates say the state's messaging may confuse legal medical marijuana users. There have been at least six deaths and more than 500 hospitalizations across the country linked to e-cigarette use. Okay. Though health officials aren't exactly sure what's causing it. Early evidence suggests that the dangerous vape cartridges causing deaths are black market pens containing vitamin E acetate, a thickening additive. THC has been linked to cases of severe lung damage, though one particular product hasn't been singled out. So while the flavored ban is intended to keep young people away from the habit, it doesn't actually address the cause of sudden deaths and hospitalizations. The frenzy has drawn attention to recent research that's found that vaping has skyrocketed among teenagers in recent years, according to a December 2018 survey by the National Institutes of Health. 37% of 12th graders have vaped in the past year, up 10% from last year. The state's Department of Health found 2018 that 20% New York high schoolers vape. Cuomo's office, speaking on the condition of anonymity, told the city and state that there is a dearth of data around vaping. And while the ban doesn't specifically the sudden deaths, it addresses what data that does exist, which is that more teens are picking up the habit than ever. Any additional executive orders would come out of the health de- Department of Health's investigation. This comes as traditional cigarette use among teens is an all is an all-time low, under 10% down from 36% in the late 90s. So there is a concern that young people have just traded one unhealthy addiction for another. We have eroded our progress in this in just two to three years, said Lisa Davis, president and CEO of Public Health Solutions. Evidence shows that vaping is less harmful than traditional cigarettes, mostly because they contain fewer chemicals, according to John Hopkins Medicine. However, vaping is still considered bad for you, and David isn't buying that it's proper cessation tool for cigarettes. If these products were truly successful at smoking cessation, then these companies would do research and submit that to the FDA, but they haven't. Cuomo is targeting flavored e-cigarettes because they are considered popular among teenagers and e-cigarette manufacturers have been accused of marketing particularly to young people. The ban doesn't include menthol-flavored e-cigarettes, with state officials knowing that menthol flavors are generally used by people trying to kick their cigarette habit. However, Jason Conwall, a spokesperson with Cuomo's office, said they are still considering menthol 
and may still ban it after review. In an interview before Cuomo's executive order on Sunday, David agreed with the idea of banning flavored e-cigarettes, but noted that it won't mean much if menthol isn't included, as it's known to be popular with young people. It's what young people, particularly young people of color, start with, David said. Since the rash of mysterious deaths and illnesses, Cuomo has come out hard against e-cigarettes and vaping, but some health policy experts are concerned that this quick ban on flavored products is a bit misguided as it isn't addressing the actual cause of the dramatic illnesses and deaths and might drive young people deeper into the black market or to take up traditional cigarettes. If you have these really young kids and teens getting hooked, then that's not good, says Bill Hammond, Director of Health Policies at Empire State for Public Policy. But the first step would be to do some research, have a public hearing, get the best expert advice that you have instead of reacting to headlines, find out what's really going on, and proceed with proposed regulations. That... Uh, Article is from the cityandstateny.com. Cuomo's executive order on vaping will end. What, what, <laughs> what Cuomo's executive order on vaping will and won't do. Gotta love it, gotta love it. You've been listening to Smoke News Radio. I want to appreciate everyone so much for listening. I hope you are uh, having a great time out there and be careful if you are. Uh, Smoking things that are uh, have that vitamin E acetate in them, or you get weird vaping pens from who knows where, because Californians ain't been sick like that, or Coloradans. We've been vaping for some years. Much love, everyone. Smoke News Radio. Take it away, Jack. Tell some news. billion people died on the news tonight But not so many cried at the devil's side Well, Mama said, it's just make-believe You can't believe everything you see So baby, close your eyes to the lullaby That it would be alright To put the music behind the news tonight Well mama said You can't believe everything you hear The diegetic world is so unclear So baby close your ears On the news tonight The unobtrusive tones on the news tonight And Mama said Why don't the newscasters cry when they read about people who die? At 
least they could be decent enough to put just a tear in their eyes. But Mama said, it's just make believe. You can't believe everything you see. So baby, close your eyes to the lullaby. 